Eating is such a vivid experience, and eating with others is pretty intimate. We use all five senses, sight, smell, touch, taste, and sound. All five. (laughs) What else do you use all five senses for? So when we have an experience that surrounds a meal, it only heightens the memory. As Marcel Proust wrote, I feel something start within me, something that leaves its resting place and attempts to rise, something that has been embedded like an anchor at a great depth. I do not know yet what it is, but I can feel it mounting slowly. I can measure the resistance. I can hear the echo of the great spaces traversed. Will it ultimately reach the clear surface of my consciousness? This memory, this old dead moment, which the magnetism of an identical moment has traveled so far to importune, to disturb, to raise up out of the very depths of my being? I cannot tell. Now I feel nothing. It has stopped and perhaps sunk back into its darkness from which who can say whether it will ever rise again. Ten times over I must essay the task, must lean down over the abyss, and each time the cowardice that deters us from every difficult task, every important enterprise, has urged me to leave this thing alone, to drink my tea and to think merely of the worries of today and my hopes for tomorrow, which can be brooded over painlessly. And suddenly, the memory revealed itself. I'm Rosa Tran, and you're listening to Taste of Regret. Joining us today is my friend and colleague, Nick. Uh, Hi, so I'm Nick. I'm 28, and I'm an animation writer, comedy writer. I've been working with Rosa on Final Space. Hey, Final Space! Yeah. Uh, And I'm originally from Australia. I'm from a little town called Shepparton in um, the state of Victoria, but I usually just say I'm from Melbourne because that's what most people know. Um, Well, today's episode isn't about loss as what our other episodes are about, and a lot more about kind of family and the family dynamics and... As we continue to grow up, we get so engulfed in our lives that we kind of lose the closeness that we have with our family. And so, and then the other things happen. So do you want to tell us about what's happened with you? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I had to move away from Australia in order to pursue my career as a writer and in film and television and animation. So, um, that's something that I kind of always knew would have to happen because there are so few opportunities, um, in Australia, it's such a small industry. And there's just, even for those who are working professionals, sometimes there's not enough to kind of like keep them paying their bills year round. They might have like a freelance episode once a year or something like that. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I knew that if I really wanted to make a go of this, I had to kind of set out and try my luck out here. Um, which is scary because I didn't really, especially in the States, I didn't know anyone. And so I thought I would make it easier for myself by moving up to Vancouver first, where I had a few friends. I lived there on exchange before when I was in uh, university and try just kind of like slowly build my way up to this, this mythical Hollywood and Mm -hmm. (laughs) all the, you know, (laughs) the things that come with that. So, um, yeah. And, and like you said, with family, it's tough because, you were kind of making a decision that 
you're going to leave behind all of your friends and family and you're going to try and start a new life for yourself uh, somewhere else. And it's such a huge distance. It's, it's something like 17, 18 hours of flight to get back there. Mm. Um, it's expensive. I've only been back once or twice since I left in, almost five years ago. Almost five years ago. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, hoping to go back again this Christmas, but it really does kind of isolate you in a way from your, your old family and make you find a new one. Yeah. How large is your family? Uh, my immediate family is pretty small. That's my mom and dad, although they divorced when I was two years old. Uh, and then my brother, who's six years older than me, and uh, my sister, who's 16 years older than me. And she's technically a half-sister. She has a different dad, but we never really think about it like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's our kind of like immediate blood relatives. All of my grandparents have passed away. Um, although, as we'll, I guess, get into in this episode, mm-hmm. uh, there is sort of like another side of the family Um that comes from uh, my mom's former partner, Don. Uh, so they were never married or anything like that. They were always just kind of together and uh, a part of the family. And so Don was almost like a, a dad to me. Like a, we just kind of called him like a stepdad or, you know, um, just Don. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he had two kids as well, Matt and Sarah. And so they are kind of like another brother and sister to me. Oh, that's so nice. You get yeah. like this extra family. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, Don shaped a lot of your childhood. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I would spend every second weekend with my biological dad and mom would raise us the rest of the time. Um, So I ended up spending a lot, sometimes even more time, I guess, with Don. And and so we'd always just kind of be hanging out there and like watching movies and TV or, you know, doing different little like hobbies or things like that. Like one of the things that... um, we both loved was music and guitar and he had a guitar there and we would, he would always kind of play it. And eventually, um, Don actually had a, a terminal disease called alpha one antitrypsin deficiency, uh, which I still don't remember the, all the exact medicine of, but essentially something in his body started killing off his lungs, kind of like emphysema. Mm. And, um, he would just gradually run out of lung capacity until there wasn't any more until he could get a lung transplant. So mm. as a result of that, a lot of things in his body changed and, and one of them was, you know, he got very, very thin and frail and couldn't eat much anymore. And so his hands kind of curled up a bit, I guess, like arthritis. Like atrophy. Yeah. yeah. And so he could no longer play the guitar anymore. So um, I had always been fascinated by it and tried to learn and pick up things from him. And so I would end up playing for him uh, when I went around there. And so that mm-hmm. was something that we kind of shared. What did you play for him? Um... <laughs> Just the kind of stuff you'd expect a teenage boy to play, like Metallica or like um, <laughs> you know, awesome. whatever I, I thought was was fun at the time. Maybe you know some more bluesy stuff. Or um, I was never, and I still am not a great guitarist. It's always just been like a fun little hobby for me. And I, right. I play a couple of licks from songs that I like, and right. play strum a few chords, and it's about the extent of my knowledge. But um, I always had fun, and he always seemed very impressed. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. It's something you shared together, and something mm-hmm. you you continue to have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I still still have a guitar in my house and still know just as little about it, but I, uh, <laughs> I'll pick it up and have fun every now and then. One of the things I want to talk about is that I come from an extremely large family. Like, I don't know if you if I've told you this before. No. I've said it on the podcast before, but I'm the youngest of nine children wow. from the same parents. And it's very, um, it's interesting. Sometimes I've never felt more alone than being from such a large family. Interesting. Because 
you would think that there's this automatic closeness that's built in that comes with everything. And, and maybe when we're all young, but once I think somebody hits the teenager years, boom, they're on their own life. And then everybody's off on their own thing. So like when you said you have an older sister who's like 16 years older, my mm. oldest sister was 18 years older than I was, am, and um, was married by the time I was five years old and out of the house. She had kids of her own, like in two years. My niece is seven years younger than I am. Wow. You know what I mean? Um, and so growing up, did you have a special closeness with your family? Yeah, I had a similar situation with my sister in that by the time I was really old enough to kind of know her, she had moved out of home and gone to, to university and uh, gone off and kind of started her own life. So I'd only ever see her every now and then. And still, really, it's just kind of Christmas or uh, whenever when we'll get the occasion to see them. Um, <clears throat> but with my brother, it was definitely a lot closer. It was kind of just like me and him and mom. That yeah. was like our core family unit most of the time. Um, and so we did go to the same elementary school together for one year <laughs> and then he was off to, to high school and, yeah. uh, and he was gone by the time I got in there as well. So, uh, it was, it was mostly just us kind of spending time at home. And I think we, we still are pretty close. We shared a lot of things together. We both loved video games and, uh, you know, trading cards and right. all these different kind of things that we kind of shared and, and spent a lot of time with each other as kids. Although I think that once you with the, the kind of younger brother, older brother dynamic, there was also a lot of fights, yes. both literal and, uh, <laughs> and figurative um, and that kind of stuff. But as soon as he moved out of home, it was funny. I feel like our relationship instantly got better because you're not spent. Yeah, Space. exactly. <laughs> when we used to fight all the time, it was different. And then as soon as he was gone, it was like, oh, I miss him. Let's go hang out. I want Can I come stay at your little college apartment and we'll go hang oh, out in Melbourne sweet. and like, you know, that kind of thing. So um, I'm still close with him and we talk a lot. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, yeah, I never had that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but just with the, such a big family, you kind of can't. There's it, there's just so much going on. Yeah, and I mean, these days it's basically just hitting someone up on Facebook Messenger and saying, hey, what's been going on in your life? And I mean... That's uh, true, yeah. yeah. Uh, hopefully I'll see them next year for my wedding. They'll come over and oh, I he's, hope so. uh, he's my wedding party, so... Yeah, yeah. he, he kind of has to be there then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you think Facebook and all the social media makes us feel closer together? Or a is it a faux kind of closeness? I think it can be a little of both. For me, it really helps me keep in contact with everyone because I have really no other way to do that. Like, I, I don't know, international texting on my phone or whatever. So aside from like Skyping with people, um, Facebook is how I keep in touch with all of my friends and family in Australia and all of my friends back in Canada and um, all that kind of thing. So like every now and then people are like, I'm going to go off of Facebook and I'm going to tune out for a month and I'm going to try and do a social media cleanse. I'm like, well, that's really nice. But if I did that, I wouldn't get to talk to my family anymore. I wouldn't get to like, you know, know any of these people. So uh, I feel like I can't really do that. But I think there is some element of Facebook that makes you you know, you see the best version of everyone and they're putting, right. you know, the kind of the, their happy selfies and all of their great achievements and stuff up on Facebook. And yes. I think that can make you feel a little bit like, well, my life's not that great. What am I doing wrong? But right. I think everyone just kind of presents that best side of themselves. And in that way, it can feel a little bit isolating because you're not getting an authentic version of everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But also, I think you are using Facebook for a different reason yeah. than 
somebody it's more who, just communication. Yeah, and then somebody who's like, oh, I'm going to go on a social media cleanse. It's like I think you are you are truly using it. I think in what maybe it was I use it for a phone book, my digital phone book. Okay, and um, so everybody's got a different reason. So I think you know your purpose is really great. That's really sweet. Um, going back to Don. So this man <clears throat> never married. You know, I always I always had struggled with uh, the concept of marriage mm. because it's two strangers essentially. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Somebody said, Well, you have commitment issues. <laughs> <laughs> it's two strangers that meet and then they come together and form a family. Mm. So in the sense that they're not blood related, but they call themselves family. Because being a part of a family is an active choice that you have to make. And so I think even as we grow up, I mean, we have to make an active choice to be a part of that family or be a part of another family. How have you found that here? Yeah, um, that's a really great observation. I think that family is about who you choose to be with or who you choose to remain with. Um and so I have kind of had to make a family for myself out here amongst my friends and loved ones, you know, my fiance, um, our pets now, I guess, are, you know, part of our family, our little dog and cat. We just, we just got a kitten end of last year and have been raising that little troublemaker. Um, so yeah, it, it is kind of like, you know, my, my blood family are still so important to me and. I love them, but it is like we're all off living our own lives and doing our own thing and we'll check in every now and then. But um, being here on the ground, I've kind of formed my own new family with my fiance and her pets and maybe our own close friends and uh, and that sort of thing. And I think you kind of need to do that. And I've even noticed between stages of my life, there have been groups of friends that I've been close with and have been kind of ride or die with for years. And then we all just kind of move on to our own stages and our next group of friends or family or whatever it happens to be. And every now and then I'll think about them and be like, I used to talk to this person every single day. We used to hang out all the time. Like what happened to that? You know, and we'll check in and sometimes it'll still be like you never even left and you instantly have that rapport and you're catching up and it's, it's amazing. Um, and other times it just feels like something's kind of changed and you're both different now. And Mm -hmm. that was a great part of your life. And so I feel like sometimes you can kind of segment, parts of your life and think about who you were then. And now you're almost a different person and you're at a different stage of your life surrounded by different people. And it's like, you've been multiple different people throughout your life in it's a way. It's true. I think so. I agree with you completely. And like, it's, you either pick up like a habit missed a beat mm-hmm. or you're like, wow, we have changed, which yeah. is exciting because you do want to grow as a person yeah. and, and you get new interests and you, I don't know, maybe change for sometimes for the good and sometimes for the bad. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, but I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to be changing and having those different segments of your life. Absolutely. Um, going back to Don, so he was a big part of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and in a weird way, I don't think I even realized that for a while until almost after the fact. I think I maybe took it for granted that he was just always around. And I suppose that my mom had, weirdly enough, I think she had met him many, many years before that, um, when my sister had like a, like a daycare or they called it like a creche or something. I don't even know if that's an Australian term. Like a C-R-E-C-H-E. I think that might be like a weird Australian term for some sort of like daycare. Uh Um, and she had met him at that years, I think before 
Don had even met his partner and had his kids or whatever. And so I think that was something that they realized long after the fact, they just kind of had this once off run in with each other at some point. And then years later reconnected again. And then he had his kids and she had her kids and they had both left their, um, former husband, wife, that kind of thing. And, um, I guess we were all maybe around nine or 10 or something like that. And so his kids were our age. And so we just started hanging out and we would play with the kids and go to a playground, go kick a soccer ball around, whatever it happened to be. And, um, you know, mom and Don started to develop this relationship, but I think at that point he'd already been diagnosed Mm. and that was kind of always looming over them. And I think part of the reason maybe why they didn't get married was, um, you know, just the knowledge that eventually this is going to have to end, or this is going to get to a place where you're basically going to be my carer instead of, sure. you know, just a, a relationship. But it, they basically did that anyway. You know, it, it <laughs> you just, don't, but you don't need a piece of paper. Exactly. Sometimes. It's like, it's what you feel and how you act and how you show each other, like the love that you have for one another. Exactly. And, and the mom stuck by him anyway, and they had a really nice time together and, you know, his health did decline, but, um, my mom's always been, a caretaker of people and always been like a, like she's a a school counselor right now um, and a social worker. And so that's just been a huge part of her life, whether it's her own parents or Dawn or us as kids or just even people in, you know, she does like community service and volunteers to help people out and hospice and things like Mm -hmm. that. And so she's just always been a very caring, lovely, giving soul. And I think that that's just like a natural thing for her. Um, And so, yeah, she's stuck, with him the whole time up until the end. And, uh, yeah, I don't think that that was ever an issue for her. She always just, and I think he tried to push away a little bit at times and be like, you know, this isn't your responsibility and I don't want you to have to see me go through this, but she didn't care because they loved each other. Mm, That's so sweet. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so when you guys were sick at home, who would take care of you? Uh, so that would usually be mom. Yeah. <laughs> she was always mom. Like, uh, and it was tough cause she worked like six days a week to support us as like a single family. And, um, I don't think Don could work. He was on disability and whatever, and he had his own house. And so, um, we didn't all live together or anything. Um, so yeah, if I was sick home from school or whatever it happened to be, mom would, would take care of me. And it was rare that she was able to like fully take a day off. It would be more like, <laughs> gonna wrap you up in bed and i'll call and check in on you and we'll we'll talk or whatever it happened to be and um you know then when she would get home or she would run drive home at lunchtime and spend an hour with me and get me some lunch and that kind of thing um that's usually how it would happen our poor parents mine i think mine the same i I think my mom worked in a salon Mm. and if i was sick at home from school i would get dragged to the salon oh yeah and they would just put me in the back and she would back it (laughs) <laughs> she would bring um those patio you know those 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 patio fold out oh. chairs and would set it up behind like this long like display case of like nail polishes <laughs> and I would be back there that was your sick bed that was my sick bed like a little cot <laughs> and i would I would lay there and then um, I remember this one time I was so sick I had the flu she had to come pick me up from school. And I, I know it's the flu because it was the chills and I could not stop shaking. Mm. And she brought me back to that nail salon and put me at the back with the cot and wrapped me up in a blanket. And I all I could remember was shivering and all I could smell was nail polish. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but 
the things our parents will do to take care of us. It's kind yeah. of, it's, it's quite incre- incredible the things that they do and, and how they, you can do it. Like you think, you know, I think about problems now and I'm like, oh my God, quit your belly aching. Look at what your mother had to do. Right, right. So it's like the sacrifices that they've made for us. It's really beautiful. Absolutely. Um, did you, did you have anything special when you were sick? Yeah. I think that one of my comfort foods has always been Chinese food. Um, and particularly fried rice. It's just kind of always, I don't know what it is. It's just this like staple kind of, there's this notion of like, there's always an infinite amount of fried rice and there's, you, know, you can just kind of keep eating and eating. Like, and it like multiplies a, in the bowl. Right. Yeah. There's like a giant bowl of fried rice and you can just eat until you're full and you're happy. And like, um, so, and that's one of the things I liked about this. This is always so much of it. Like I definitely ate a lot as a kid. I think I was a little bit chubby as a kid and, um, you know, love to eat. And that was just one of the things that, that did it for me. And there was something comforting about it. And it was, I maybe because this, I guess I associated with like special occasions too. Like if we were, mom would cook most nights, but if we're like, Oh, let's go get takeout. Um, you know, Chinese was, was one of those things, noodles or fried rice or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that always kind of felt special. And there was a, a local Chinese restaurant where we would go to celebrate special occasions like mm-hmm. birthdays and, um, and that kind of thing. And it was like an all you can eat buffet. And that was just like my dream. Um, I would load up one plate with everything and then I'd have like another plate and I'd start loading that cause I'd put too much on the first plate. And one of those plates was inevitably just piled high with fried rice. <laughs> um, and so when you were sick, that's what you had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mom would bring a little kind of like one of those plastic takeout containers where you kind of clip the lid off and you open it up and it kind of has the indent of the lid onto it and the bottom. And, um, yeah, and I would just eat as much as I could, and then I'd have leftovers the next day of it, which is always tastes better. Um, I think it multiplies in that container. It it's does. Just, it's yeah. so much. It's like a brick of fried rice. Sometimes <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's what it feels like. And I had this weird thing too. Sometimes where I would like pour orange juice on top of it, and I don't know how I came up with that. Probably just because I was drinking orange juice and maybe spilt it on there. And I'm like, this is actually pretty good. It gave this, this weird like, amazing. yeah, sweetness to it. And I, I didn't do that all the time, but that was just like. I'm like, I must be a very weird person to do this to fried rice. Did somebody make you that at home? Yeah. After a while, actually, it was Don who had a recipe for this homemade fried rice. And it was not really like the fried rice from the restaurant. It was its own thing. <laughs> um, but it was delicious. And it was kind of like the weirdest stuff that would go into it, too. It was this quick, easy meal. And it would be pretty basic, like maybe some onions some peas, um, some ham. I don't know if that's another weird Australian thing that we like use ham in more, more food. I'll put spam in fried rice. Yeah. There's just no, that you can put anything in fried rice. Exactly. That's what's so great about it. You can just throw whatever you like in there and it's amazing. So it would be just like that and then throw the rice directly into the pan. And then here was like the whole key to it was that we would put tomato sauce, ketchup, I guess, in, in American terminology on there as like the main flavoring and then some soy sauce or tamari and cayenne pepper and then just stir it all through. And then it, and then it started to look like real fried rice. It's like, Oh, here's the color. That's you know, it's, it goes from like red to black to suddenly this beautiful golden brown, you know, yellow Amazing, kind of thing. That yeah. you, exactly. And like, Oh, that, now it's fried rice. Um, and you'd think this weird combination of colors of, of flavors, would be bizarre, but it actually works so well together. And it does kind of taste like your at home imitation of fried rice. That's awesome. When was the last time you had that? 
Oh, it's been many, many years now. Um, probably before I moved out of home. So when I was 17, 16, something like that. Wow, really? 18, yeah, I moved out of home in 18 to go to university. Like there's no universities in a little country town. So most people just kind of make their pilgrimage to Melbourne and then that's where they live their lives or head off to other places. Did you go to Monash? No, I, I went to Melbourne University, but I, I did have friends who went to Monash. Yeah. I have a cousin that went to Monash. Oh, there you go. No. That's the only reason why I know. <laughs> um, well, I made you fried rice today. Oh my God. <laughs> Surprise. Um, I'm going to go get it for you and then uh, I'll bring it right back. Awesome. All right. Well, I made you fried rice today <laughs> based, awesome. based on your family's famous recipe. <laughs> um so go ahead and lift up the uh, lift it up and give it a look. Wow. <laughs> it's so funny, it looks exactly like what I remember. <laughs> um, it's almost got that like red tinge to it from like the ketchup. Yeah. <laughs> and you can dive right in whenever. Awesome. Definitely tastes just like it. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, there's the, the cayenne pepper too. Okay. In the back of the throat. I like it. Mm. Um I think it funnily enough, it was more my mom making his recipe. Like we got this recipe from him because we <laughs> had seen him make it and had eaten it, and then we were like, oh my god, this is great. And it's so easy. And so he kind of wrote down his like rough version of it. And we kept trying to replicate it. And my mom got it right. And so she would make this for us and um, just like huge batches and like <laughs> giant kind of walk and keep it in the fridge. And we'd have this big like glass, like mixing bowl full of this rice. And they would just kind of have it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner until it ran out. Um, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But yeah, it's been a very long time since I've had this. Does it take you back to the house? Yeah. Um, we had this tiny little house that we grew up in, uh, in Shepparton in Australia. And it reminds me of the kitchen there, which was basically like most of the house. Like it was just, seriously, this really small house. Like we had like a much bigger garden and area around it, but it was this tiny little kind of like wood pane house, um, weatherboard, I think is what I'm, the word I'm looking for. And, uh, it was fairly like open. There was this like little kitchen area and there was a living room. And then we just had kind of our little rooms off of that. And it just reminds me of sitting in the, the kitchen there. There was always this kind of window right near the the stove and all the light shining in from that and just sitting around this little table that again took up like basically the entire kitchen. <laughs> um, and uh, either eating this or preparing it or, or that kind of thing. That's really cool. Mm. Yeah. And it's funny what comes back when you, when you taste something. 
I guess that's why I always liked things like this, because it's kind of like quick and easy, and you just throw everything into one big pan and stir it around, and eventually it's it's done, and then, you know, um doesn't require too much exact science, I feel like. I think if if we if I wanted to look further into that, it's kind of like um a family. You know what I mean? You kind of throw everybody in a pan, <laughs> you shake it around, and then what comes out is this amazing, you know, yeah. this amazing group of people that come together. So I was like, maybe that's fried rice is like a metaphor for your family that, or for my nice. family. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't thought about it like that before, but I think it's true because you got so many different little pieces in there, but they all just kind of like come together through the through the fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was your first uh, memory with Dawn? It's a good question. Um, I don't know about first memory, but a couple of the ones that kind of come to mind when I'm thinking about him are when I was a kid, so I must have been, yeah, probably about 10, I guess. I had started playing soccer at school with, with friends and so we're getting into that, and Don had always loved soccer. He watched the, like the English Premier League and all that kind of thing. Um, and so he took us out to the soccer oval to kind of kick the ball around with me and his son Matt and daughter Sarah. And uh, but at this point, he had still he was still pretty far into his kind of disease, and so he had very little energy and breath that he could uh, use to to be doing exhausting physical things. So he kind of just like stood in the goals and we would try to, to kick the soccer balls in and he'd try to, he'd do his best <laughs> to, uh, to block those. And so we'd kick stuff around and, you know, we couldn't do it for too long because it would be quite exhausting for him. And eventually he had to kind of like go on oxygen and stuff when he would go home and, and recover. But, um, I was just really appreciated that he, even in that condition and how, with how he felt, he would take the time to go out and do stuff like that with us and kick a ball around and just try to be, you know, like a regular dad to, to his kids and his, you know, uh, adopted kids or you know, whatever mm-hmm. you want to, to call us. But, um, yeah, that was a memory I had of him. And then a lot of our memories I think are just sitting around in his living room watching fun show. Like he, he definitely helped spark like a love of, certain comedies, especially British comedy and things in me that have always really influenced me. And, um, he loved arrested development and like (laughs) this kind of absurd, absurd, funny shows. And we always related, uh, over that stuff as well as a million other things like a love of history. And, um, we played, uh, you know, like these nerdy games where you'd paint little miniatures and battle them and stuff. And he'd always build like airplane kits. Mm -hmm. Um, because he had a huge love of World War II, and so he had have he had an entire cupboard in his room full of air, like unfinished airplane kits. Like he would maybe do like one or two a year, and then the rest was just he'd just keep buying them and buying them, and they would pile up. Um, and you know they take a while to do, and they they're huge things. You got to clip all the plastic out, and you got to glue it together, and you got to send. And there's all these tiny little details and stickers and bits and things you have to paint and. Um, yeah, and you'd have the finished ones up around the room, and they were gorgeous, but it was kind of this huge project. And um, even after he passed away, he still had this cupboard full of airplane kits, and they kind of like, who wants an airplane kit? You know, and like, you take one to remember him. And yeah. Did you take one? Uh, I think mom has one for me at home. Yeah. I, I haven't had a chance to take it in person or anything like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, something else that was really nice um, was that when Don passed away, he was on an organ donor list. Um, and some of the things that they 
were able to donate to people were his eyes. And one um, went to someone who was a pilot. Wow. And then helped this person to like see properly again and be able to fly. Oh my goodness. That's huge. What a great man. Yeah. He'd always wanted to be a pilot, which is why he was so obsessed with these airplanes and that kind of thing. But due to his health, he would never been able to to really fly. So in in dying, he helped someone else fly. Yeah. And he is a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's so incredible. Um, When did uh, Don pass? Uh, That was... Let me think about this for a second. I think it was about two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he had been on the waiting list for a lung transplant. Uh, and his health wasn't bad. Like they had put him in hospital to kind of recover and get up to a point where he could actually undergo the surgery. Um, and there were a lot of like positive signs and things that were happening well. But the main problem was that he couldn't put on enough body weight at that point because of how hard it was to, it was basically like he was breathing through a straw. And so whenever he would eat stuff, it would just kind of feel like it was just like sitting there like a lump in his chest and it made it even harder for him to breathe. Um, so he, it was very hard for him to eat enough to actually maintain his weight and he just kept getting thinner and thinner. And he was already a really tall, kind of fairly thin guy. Like he must've been six, six, three or six, four or something like that. So, um, you know, he kind of, at a certain point looked a bit like a skeleton, mm. but, um, yeah, he just, they tried feeding him intravenously and doing all that kind of stuff where you know just like building this massive, like weight gain type stuff to try and put it up. But unfortunately it just didn't quite work and he didn't get to the point that, that he needed and, um, and passed away before he could get the transplant. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Um, were you here in the States? I was. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the, it's been kind of a running theme of my life that a lot of people important to me have passed away while I've been over here pursuing my dreams. And I think there's a certain amount of guilt that comes with that or the feeling of not being there for them or not spending those years around them before they passed. Um, you know, my grandmother, my, my grandfather, even childhood pets, mm-hmm. things like that. But, um, Don was the most recent and definitely one of the, the hardest ones for me. Um, it's weird too. Like we were talking about Facebook before, but that's often how I get the bad news mm-hmm. as my mom will send me a message on Facebook and say, Nick, I'm so sorry, but you know, um, we just lost Don oh. or yeah. Um, so as much as I look forward to those Facebook messages and catch ups every now and then it comes with bad news as well. Yeah. And, and it is hard to grieve properly when you're so far away and right. when you're not, there around those people and sharing in that grief and that process and you're not able to make it to the funeral and and that kind of thing. You just have to really process it in your own way, in your own time, in your own little space. Um, and it's one of those things too where knowing and loving someone with a terminal illness, you are kind of ready for it at all times and you expect that it's going to happen eventually and you just don't know when. And, and I think that he made it a really long time given the Mm-hmm. the level of um, suffering that he'd had to go through for it. So I think I was mostly just happy that he was able to live his life to the fullest given the circumstances and uh, make an impact on the people around him who loved him like me. Yeah, definitely. And I think I something I had to struggle with too after losing my father was 
just because they're physically not in front of you doesn't mean they're not there. And his voice is that, you know, I hear his voice a lot, that guiding voice in my head. Like I made this, these, these little, um, they're called honeycomb cakes Mm. and it's this Vietnamese dessert and it's like made with tapioca starch and coconut milk and stuff like that. And I've been trying to make these dishes and I take it out of the oven and all I could hear is his voice. You shouldn't have greased the pan. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I, I find that that has been more comforting to me. I mean, it was really hard at first because I would um, I would hear that voice and I would start to cry and I would just try to push it out. And then eventually it would start to, I told myself, he's still here. He's still here. Let him in. And and that kind of had has helped me. Absolutely. Yeah. Don was always very supportive of my career as a writer and me sitting and going out here to, to pursue that and very proud of all my kind of successes. And, um, he did pass away before I got staffed on final space, but, um, in doing that, kind of going in and meeting the writers in the room, one of them, as you know, was Dan O'Keefe and he was a writer on Seinfeld and he wrote the Festivus episode. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which I know he has a complicated relationship because that comes from his father, but um, Don actually celebrated Festivus. Oh my god, amazing! Because <laughs> he was very—he was not a religious person and kind of against all of that, and so he just as uh, for fun, you know, decided that he was going to start celebrating Festivus. And he went out and he bought a steel pole to be the, <laughs> the Festivus pole, and he put it up in his his room. And he would, you know, with his kids and with us, we would do the airing of the grievances and the feats of strength. You know, I remember watching him wrestle around with Matt on the ground, <laughs> jokingly, just to kind of pursue this, this silly holiday. And I just thought it was this strange kind of poetic thing that I had a gotten staffed full time on a TV show and achieved one of my goals that I know Don had always wanted for me. And that one of the writers I end up with in the room had written probably his favorite episode of TV, this Seinfeld episode and this tradition that he had celebrated. And then I was sitting there next to this and it kind of all brought it full circle. Yeah. I knew that he would have loved to know that if he had still been around. And I, you know, it's one of those things that you said, you go to pick up the phone and tell them like, Oh, I got to tell Don. Well, he's not here, but he knows. He knows. And also, I will make you fried rice whenever you want. Oh, thank so if you. you are sick, you can call me. <laughs> I will make you fried rice. Oh, that's so sweet of you. It's actually funny. Right now I'm meant to be on this keto diet where oh. you do low carbs. I didn't <laughs> want to mention it to you because I was so like, sorry. no, it's okay. Um, this is my cheat meal. Uh, I don't know if we meant to have this or not, but I've been doing really great with it. I've lost like 20 pounds or whatever, but I'm just like, I'm like, oh, should I try and think of a food that's important to me that is keto friendly i'm like no just go for the thing that's in your heart and i think what's in my heart was this fried rice and uh, tasting it again is um is really special so thank you thank you for coming on and sharing your story yeah thank you for having me okay until next time being a part of a family isn't always a given whether you're born into one or you make one up as you go along the choice is yours it's a choice to be in a family You have to be active, just like in any other relationship. Think about it. Before a couple starts a family, they were two strangers that made an active choice to form a connection.